Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And this is episode 107, the last in the present format of The Blind Side. I don't think it's going to be the last episode of the podcast altogether, but as I indicated a couple of weeks ago, next week I'm starting a new job with Ira as Vice President of Australasia and Explorer Communications. And that means I'm going to have quite a lot less time for producing things like this. And on that basis, we're scaling back the blind side, scaling it way back so there won't be weekly episodes anymore. But as time allows and as something of particular interest comes around, we may publish the occasional episode. And I certainly hope to keep up to date with Apple things. I know those episodes are particularly popular and we'll be covering other things as well. I've received so many wonderful messages and I really do appreciate it very much. It's nice to know that the podcast means so much to people and I really do appreciate people's good wishes. And on this, the final episode of The Blind Side in the current format, I thought it important to finish our look at the smart home because we got some excellent contributions from listeners to The Blind Side and I did promise that I'd take a look at my own smart home setup And so I'll do that this episode because I've had people saying, are you going to do this before the blind side finishes? Well, this is the last opportunity I'll have to produce an episode of the blind side in this format. So I'd better do it now. Before we do that, though, let's go to some listener comments. Hi, Jonathan. It's Andrew. I was just wondering how you like the new Horizon glasses. The Horizon glasses for me, the camera being situated in the center It really helps because agents are able to get a lot more clearer image. Uh, They're able to take a lot less pictures. And remember those uh, Wi-Fi's we used to have where we had the everything was Bluetooth. There's no, uh, there's none of that now. There's uh, you don't have to jump from the wireless connection but the thing i don't like about the horizon glasses and i'm just getting used to it is the uh, tethered cable the prongs on the cable i've noticed over time that they've faded a little bit you can't really feel them and um i don't know if it's me or what they I mean, it goes into the glasses, but it doesn't, like, lock into place. So, multiple times, the cable either came out of the phone, the dedicated Samsung J7, or the um, the glasses. And the agent, we lost connection momentarily. And then it switched the horizon phone camera and but when i plug the glasses back in it's automatically switched to the uh horizon uh glasses so i'm just wondering what your opinions are and if you know anything i did email ira and they said she would ship me a new cable but I might email them back and say, like, it's still working. Is this supposed to happen? Or I guess I could call support and ask them. 
I just wanted to know if if you had your opinions and if you could comment on this. Nice to hear from you, Andrew. And glad you're enjoying the Horizon device overall. I am too. The field of view is fantastic. As you say, having the camera right in the center of the glasses makes a big difference. So it is a massive improvement. It is a fairly new product. And so it could be that what you're experiencing is just a bit of a teething problem there. And I would definitely take up Ira's offer to give you another cable because while it is still working, as you say, you don't want it falling out at inopportune times, do you? It is pretty slick that the switching between glasses and camera is seamless and that that can take place on a call because there might be times when disconnecting the glasses and taking a picture, say, of some printed text with a camera will get you good results. So it's nice that you can do that, but certainly you don't want it falling out inadvertently. So I'm sure Ira would be happy to ship you another one. And all the very best with your Horizon usage in the future. Maybe we will be in touch in an Ira capacity. And if there's one thing I have learned from hosting The Blind Side is that this particular Holger is a male because I did a gender bender on him <laughs> the first time he wrote in. And ever since then, he has signed his name Mr. Holger at the uh, end of every email that he sent to the blind side. I'll never live that one down. Anyway, he says, hi, Jonathan. Now, you did spell my name wrong, Holger. You spelled it O-N at the end and it's A-N. So I think we're, does that make us even? I'm not sure. Thanks for the podcast, he says. I will miss them, not having them every week. I noticed that when I get my report for screen time on Sunday, it states that I use the iPhone for one hour. However, I use Audible for hours and hours. It looks like if you play an audio book and the screen is closed, the screen time doesn't work. Best on your new job. Thank you, Holger. Thank you for being a loyal listener to The Blind Side as well. And I can confirm those findings. I have been listening to a couple of audiobooks. One thing I really do like about audiobooks is listening to biographies read by the author. And I'm a huge Monty Python fan. And Eric Idle of Monty Python has just published a great autobiography that's on Audible called Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. And I listened to that. And that inspired me to listen to John Cleese's autobiography, which came out a couple of years ago called So Anyway, which I haven't gotten around to listening to before. So all of that's happening on Audible. And I can confirm that when I'm listening to Audible with my screen locked, it doesn't affect screen time. So that's a limitation or perhaps just a characteristic of the feature that people should be aware of. Hey, Jonathan and everyone on the blind side, this is Sean Williams. I just want to take a few moments, Jonathan, to say thank you for all the contributions that you've done over the years. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to the blind side as well as FSCast. And... Uh, I just wanted to also say thank you for your contributions to uh, ACB Radio Main Menu as well, because uh, that really, your contributions there really got me motivated to start uh, the podcast that I now do, Technology Wizard. Uh, started it in 2008 and it's ongoing. And uh, just want to say thank you for that because you were a huge inspiration in that moment. And last but not least, I'd like to wish you good luck in your new role. And I hope that 
you enjoy your job. Thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate that. And I'm not quite dead yet. At least last I checked, I wasn't. I, I got up this morning and I wasn't in the obituaries. So, you know, I'll still be around and hopefully doing the occasional episode of The Blind Side from time to time and also publishing updated or new books when time permits as well. But it's great to see young up-and-coming podcasters doing their thing. And I was on one actually about a week or so ago, and I know I've been on yours at least once, maybe twice. So good stuff because us old guys, we're never going to be doing this forever, right? So all the very best with your technology wizard podcast and whatever comes next. And uh, hopefully, if you're not an explorer already, we will see you in the iReverse sometime soon. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosen. We've been doing a kind of a sporadic series on the smart home. And some of our Blindside listeners made some excellent contributions on their smart home solutions. And I have been promising that I would come back to this and talk about what we've done in the smart home space. And since this is the final episode of The Blind Side to be produced on a regular basis, I'd better fulfill that promise and talk about it now. I must confess to being a little bit cautious when it comes to the smart home, and I haven't jumped on board the smart home bandwagon as quickly as you might expect, because you know I love to adopt new technology and experiment and kick the tyres. I have been concerned about getting locked into one particular ecosystem. I reserve the right, for example, to change smartphone platforms sometime in the future. At the moment, for my needs at least, the screen reading solutions offered on Android platforms are significantly less capable than the screen reader that iOS offers. And for that primary reason, I can't see myself switching from iOS to Android unless that changes. But it may. And I don't want to be prohibited from changing because if I do, my lights won't work and my doors won't unlock and my heating won't heat. So I have been proceeding with caution. HomeKit is a bit proprietary, but increasingly there are accessories available that work with all of the major players. HomeKit for iOS, the Amazon Alexa platform, and also Google Home. There are still some accessories, though, that only work with one. And what makes the smart home a bit more complicated in my part of the world is that there aren't as many accessories that take the New Zealand and Australian plug standards as there are, say, in the United States. Part of this is due to the fact that in the United States and Canada, of course, you've got a different voltage. And part of it is because of the different kind of plug that is used here. So there are two things that are not in our favour. So the number of accessories we have to choose from are actually quite a bit less here in New Zealand compared to, say, in the United States, and I suspect even in the United Kingdom and Europe. I had this problem, for example, when looking for smart plugs. I couldn't find a smart plug that would work with both HomeKit and Alexa. And that was a bit of a problem because we had to make a decision about which devices would we like best to control our smart plugs with, since we couldn't have both. At the time, I chose HomeKit because when we thought about the use case for these smart plugs, they were things like turning on the crock pot. And we realized that we were going to want to turn on the crock pot when we were away from the house. I mean, if we were in the house, we were more likely to just walk up to the crock pot and turn it on. And at that stage, when we were doing this, the Amazon Alexa app for iOS didn't have an Alexa button built into the Amazon Alexa app. So we chose to go with HomeKit for that particular use case. So it does require a bit of thought. 
HomeKit is now making it a lot easier to provide accessories that work with it. The hardware compatibility requirements are less stringent than they used to be, and hopefully that will mean that we'll get more devices that work across all of the platforms. I consider us getting into Sonos to be our first foray into the smart home environment. And you may say, well, what's Sonos got to do with smart homes? Well, bear in mind that you can cause Sonos to come on at certain times and play certain things. So in the morning at 6 a.m., we have Sonos turning on in certain rooms playing Radio New Zealand National and listening to a current affairs program that is on Radio New Zealand National in the morning. In the evening, we have Sonos coming on to play another current event show. You can also configure Sonos so that music from a particular room is played in other rooms. And so I think that Sonos does count as a smart home appliance. And we have 15 different Sonos devices. The Sonos support man told me the other day when he was helping me troubleshoot a particularly bizarre problem. So we really have invested considerably in the Sonos ecosystem. We love Sonos. It's obviously working very well with Amazon Echo. We can use Echo, for example, to get music playing in certain rooms, and it's really pretty slick. And of course, Sonos now has two devices that have Alexa built in. You've got the Sonos One, which is a replacement for the Play One, and you also have the Sonos Beam, which is a kind of a smallish soundbar designed for small rooms. And Sonos will soon, they keep telling us, have Google Assistant built in as well as Alexa, which is pretty consistent with the whole philosophy of Sonos being agnostic about the services that you use. So it will support multiple voice services. And of course, it also supports multiple music services in a very accessible environment. This is one of the things I really like about Sonos is that often the experience that you get with Sonos can be more friendly and accessible than the app for the service itself. So we are huge Sonos fans. I have written a book called Sonosthesia that tells you all about Sonos. It needs updating. I'm aware of that. And the reason why I haven't updated it quite yet is I'm waiting for Google Assistant support to drop. It doesn't seem worth updating the Sonosthesia book when we know that there is supposed to be such a huge change coming very soon. And so when that change comes, I will do my best to spend some weekend time updating Sonosthesia and then publishing it. For those who haven't read Sonosthesia or don't know about Sonos, the one thing I would say before moving on from this discussion is that Sonos is completely different from having a Bluetooth set of speakers or speaker. And people who may not have investigated Sonos sometimes don't appreciate that. Sonos is actually connected to the internet. You control the experience from the Sonos app, and there are apps available for iOS, Android, PC, and Mac. And they are super intelligent devices. Sonos has taken great care to make sure that when you group rooms together, the audio is absolutely in sync. You can go all the way through to a 5.1 surround sound system, which we have in our living room. We have a Sonos sub. We have a play bar. I'm hoping they will come out with an updated play bar that includes Alexa support. And then behind us, we have the two surround speakers. So we have the full 5.1 system. And we have that connected to our television via an optical cable. That means that when you listen to Netflix or something like that with 5.1 surround sound, it sounds absolutely stunning. 
I was disappointed that the latest Sonos device, the Beam, does not support Dolby Atmos, which is an amazing audio experience. If you get the chance, sit and listen to someone's Dolby Atmos system. It's mind-blowingly cool when you listen to the right kind of sound. But Sonos is a pretty conservative company in terms of not being too quick to jump on the bandwagon. And while Sonos gear is not cheap, it does tend to last a long time because of that. If Sonos adopts something, it's a pretty safe bet that it's something that's going to be around for a long time. And I think people do appreciate that. People have got some Sonos devices they've had for a very long time that are still functioning and functioning well. So if you want to create a smart home with lots of audio that can turn on and off at different times and you can beam different things to other things, then definitely check out Sonos. Sonos also now on its newer devices supports AirPlay 2. And that means that you can send material straight from your iPhone to the newer Sonos devices using AirPlay 2. It also means you can mix and match. So if you're the kind of person that wants to get into HomePod and maybe have a Sonos somewhere else, then you can use AirPlay 2 to put Sonos devices and HomePod devices in the same group. And it's really easy to work out which Sonos device supports AirPlay 2. If your Sonos device has touchscreen controls on the top instead of the older physical buttons, then your player does support AirPlay 2. It is so nice to just be listening, say, to a YouTube clip. And I can say to Bonnie, hey, this is really interesting or this is hilarious or whatever. Have a listen to this. And I can just bring up AirPlay and send it to one of the Sonos devices. It also means that if you use Apple Music, you can play from your iPhone or iPad or HomePod for that matter, to a Sonos device through AirPlay 2. So that's Sonos, which I do consider very much an integral part of our smart home. I do have a smart home folder on my home screen. I'm a bit of a neat freak when it comes to the hundreds and hundreds of apps that I have on my phone. So I organize them by folders. And the smart home folder has pride of place on the first page of apps. So I'm going to locate that now. Settings. Smart Home Folder, 6 apps. Double tap to open. Let's double tap the Smart Home Folder to open it. Opening Smart Home Folder, Smart Home, Heading. Double tap and hold to start edit mode. I'll flick to the right. Home. Double tap to open. The first thing I have in my Smart Home Folder is the Home app. This is built in to iOS and it's the heart of your smart home as far as Apple is concerned. So this is where you can control your HomeKit accessories. And it's also where you can set up scenes, which are a really powerful automation feature of having a smart home. It's called Scenes in iOS. Amazon Alexa calls it Routines. But the concept is always similar, no matter what ecosystem you're using. The idea is that you can automate a string of tasks. For example... When the sun goes down, you might like certain lights to turn on until a particular time. Not only is this a good feature for people like me who have no light perception at all and sometimes forget that it looks hospitable to turn the lights on in the evening, but it's also quite nice if you're traveling because it makes the home look lived in if the lights come on and switch off at a certain time. As you would expect with all built-in Apple apps, this is a very accessible experience, so when I double tap... Home, kitchen, heading. And I'm in the kitchen right now. That's the last room that I took a look at. If I go to the bottom of the screen. Automation, tab, 
selected rooms tab home tab one of three so we've got three tabs home selected rooms rooms and automation automation which is where we can set the scenes that we were talking about before if i go to the top of the screen now bearing in mind that i'm in the kitchen show rooms button there's a show rooms button and if i double tap that it will show me the rooms that we have set up in the home app for our smart home for home automation if i flick to the right We'll have a look at all of the smart appliances and accessories in our kitchen. Kitchen. Heading. Edit. Button. Add. Button. Accessories. Heading. Corner light one. Kitchen. Off. Button. Corner light two. Kitchen. Off. Button. We have a lot of lights in our kitchen and they're all off at the moment. It is the middle of the day as I record this. I find this very handy, not just for the automation aspect of it, but also because, as I say, I've got no light perception. And it is amazing. I have still not found the magic method to train sighted teenagers or even older to make sure that they switch lights off when they're no longer being used. And so now I can come in here without having to wander around and check the physical switches to determine whether lights are on or off. And we can ask Siri that question as well. Are the kitchen lights on? Your lights are off. And it replies, your lights are off. I can also say, turn the kitchen lights on. Okay. And so now they're on. Now if I say, are the kitchen lights on? Your lights are on. And it confirms that the lights are on. I can now say, Turn kitchen lights off. Done. And the lights are off. Just to confirm, what's the status of the kitchen lights? Your lights are off. Well, that is super. Now, for the lights, we are using Philips Hue. And we chose Philips Hue because, well, they're widely available in New Zealand. You can go to many, many stores and buy various Philips Hue bulbs. They vary in complexity. And we've got the cheapy ones for the most part because the people who pay the bills around here don't really appreciate the lights. But in the kitchen, and I don't remember why, perhaps it was that the the kitchen required certain bulbs and we could only get hold of the magical, more expensive ones for the kitchen for some reason. They do change color. So we can tell Siri to change the kitchen lights to all kinds of crazy colors. And it's it's actually quite a good party trick, you know, when you're showing off the smart home dream to people. And you can do a kind of a light show in the kitchen. People do think it's cool. And of course, the kids think it's cool as well. The cool thing about Philips Hue is that it works very well with Amazon Alexa. And I believe it works equally well with Google Assistant, although we don't use Google Assistant at all for any kind of home automation task at this point. We're not a Google household. The Philips Hues come with a hub that you have to plug in. And what's important with Hue, as well as with pretty much any of these accessories, is it's really important to get your structure right. When you are thinking about smart homes and home automation, think about the long term. One of the mistakes that I made, for example, was when we got all of our Sonos devices. I just named them basic things like living room, master bedroom, guest bedroom, dining room, that kind of thing. And then as we started to expand our home automation offerings, that got me into trouble because we want to use those names as the names of our rooms. 
So I had to go back and rename all of the Sonosers to more explicit names, describing them as Sonosers so that they could go into the correct room. So the living room surround sound system is now called Living Room Sonos. That has really helped us to set up our room structure correctly for HomeKit, because of course HomeKit will recognize AirPlay 2 devices, and of course Amazon Alexa, which will recognize all of the Sonos devices. It allows us then to add other things to the same rooms, such as heating and lighting. So if you can, once you start your smart home, think about structure. I'm going to swipe up to get back from the Siri screen I'm on now to the Home app. Home, show rooms button. And here's the show rooms button. So if I double tab. Show room alert, default room button, selected, kitchen, but living room, but dining room, studio, but Nicholas bedroom, master bedroom, guest bedroom, David's bedroom, laundry, button, downstairs hallway, upstairs hallway, master bathroom, but cancel button. So we've got our room structure set up really nicely and that makes all the difference in terms of just monitoring and controlling and potentially troubleshooting. I'll double tap cancel. Showrooms button. The Home app allows you to provide varying levels of access. You can make somebody a home administrator as it were, and they can add accessories and modify things. But you can also give somebody access when they visit. And what you'd want to do in that situation is give them access so that they can just use the accessories in the house, control lighting and things like that. But you don't want them to be able to add accessories. And so you can set privileges when you add users. And then when your visitor leaves, you can remove them again. You can also determine whether somebody that you add can control your accessories outside of the house or not. So by default, when you add somebody, they can only control the accessories when they're connected to your Wi-Fi network. And normally, if you're adding guests for a temporary stay, that would be what you want to do. And so it's kind of impressive when you have people over and you can say, I'm happy to add you to our Apple Home offering so you can control things while you're here. We also have an Amazon Alexa in pretty much every room now, whether it be a Sonos with Alexa support or an Amazon Echo, even just an Echo Dot, so that wherever we are, we can control our accessories via Alexa. And guests who come to stay prefer that, I think, because they don't have to add anything to their phone. They can just instruct Alexa, who sort of can hear from everywhere because we've got devices scattered all over the place. And we do also have an Amazon Alexa blueprint way back on a Blindside episode when Amazon added the blueprints feature. I demonstrated the Mosin Towers skill that I was developing, and that's come a long way now. And you can ask that skill if you're a guest how to control the heating, how to do different things, and you get very detailed instructions about how to control everything. So it's kind of a fun, new, friendly experience. So let's go into the automation tab. Automation tab, three of three. I'll double tap. Automation heading. And let's have a look at what you can do here. Have your accessories react to changes at home. Create new automation button. Let's have a look at creating a new automation in the Apple Home app. Cancel button. I'll flick to the right. New automation heading. Choose when you want this automation to occur. People arrive X. I arrive home button. Unless you've switched it off, your phone knows your location 
And so there may be certain things that you want to happen when you arrive home, like doors opening or heat setting to a particular temperature or certain lights going on. You might want the outside lights to turn on when you arrive at home, which is a pretty common one. Let's have a look at what else might happen. People leave X. Everyone has left home button. If everybody's left home, you may want the heating to be switched off, for instance. A time of day occurs X at 8 a.m. or at sunset button. An accessory is controlled E. G. Light turns on button. A sensor detects something X. Motion detected or smoke detected. Those are the choices. I'll flick back. An access a time of day a time of day occurs X at 8 a.m. or at sunset button. I'll choose this one. A time back button. And flick right. Time automation heading. Next button. Win. Sunrise. Sunset. Time of day. 12 o'clock. Pick her item. Adjustable. 407 minutes. Pick PM. Pick her item. Repeat. Selected. Monday. Button. Selected. Tuesday. But select. Se so select. all days of the week are selected by default. Select. Selected. Every day. People. Off. I'll go back to the top of the screen. Back. Time. Next. Win. Sunrise. Sunset. And I'm going to double tap the sunset button. Sunset. Now I'll flick left. Sun. Win. Next button. And double tap next. Next back button. Sunset daily heading. Next dimmed button. Select scenes and accessories to automate. Kitchen heading. Add all button. Breakfast bar light one. Kitchen but breakfast bar light two. What we have is each room grouped by headings. So I'm going to use my rosa. Characters, words, headings, speaking headings. There's headings. Living room heading. And here's the living room, which is what I'm interested in. Add all button. I'll double tap add all. Remove all. And now when I flick right. Selected bookshelf light one. Living room button. Selected bookshelf light two. Living room selected. Main living room chandelier one. Living room. We've got a lot of lights in there. So now we can go back up to the top. Back button. Sunset. Next button. And the next button is no longer grayed out because we've selected some accessories that we want this to act on. Next back button. Sunset daily. Heading. Done. Button. Win. Sunset daily. Accessories. So as you see, we've got a summary of what we've just done, just to confirm that this is what's going to happen. And at the bottom of the screen, test this automation. We can double tap the test this automation button, and that will perform the steps that are going to happen at sunset. If I double tap the done button, it will save this. In this case, I'm not going to do that. But if you wanted to put this into effect, then that's all it is. So as you can see, once you've done the install of the accessories, and I feel like there should be a joke about how many blindside hosts and their family does it take to change a light bulb or something, then it's really straightforward to get some pretty fun automations set up. Right now I'm going to go back home, so I'll flick up from the bottom of the screen. Home. And I'm back in my smart home folder. Hue. Double tap to open. This is the Philips Hue app. What you'll sometimes find is that you can control your accessories via the home app, but you might also have a dedicated app that does the same thing. The Hue app, in my experience, I haven't played with it too much because the home app seems to serve my needs for working with the lights, and of course Siri does as well, but the Hue app seems really accessible. I'll flick right. RSC Plus. Double tap to open. 
Here is another pretty common scenario. Your smart home may not always integrate with an existing platform such as HomeKit, Alexa or Google Assistant. And this is one example of where this is the case. Here in New Zealand, it's pretty difficult to find alarm systems that work with HomeKit and that are accessible in other ways. Back in 2009, when I moved into Mosin Towers, we got what was then a state-of-the-art security system, and you could control it via the phone. You could sort of dial into it, and it had this really awful voice-controlled thing, and you could do all those things. So it was time to update and get with the internet age, and after a bit of research and testing apps for accessibility, I went with Bosch and their Remote Security Control Plus technology. This is not compatible with Alexa or HomeKit, and so the only way to drive it from your phone is through its proprietary app. So if I double tap... Validating ellipsis. Let's explore the screen. About. Settings. Log out. Connect. Connect button. User code. Five stars. Five more info. But H0 me. Dimmed button. Connect. Heading. Three lines. Button. Three lines. So as you can see, it's pretty accessible. There's a three lines button here, which is basically a menu button. But other than that, it's a really accessible app. And I did quite a bit of research before picking this one because it's all been professionally installed and it was a long-term commitment. If I flick to the right, dim H zero me more info five stars user code. Here's where I enter my user code, and you can assign multiple codes. So again, if you have a guest who comes to visit, you can assign them a code to the security system. You can get them to download the app, and you can authorize them with an account. And when they're gone, you can delete it all. So it's pretty cool. I'm going to pause the recording and enter my security code into RSC+. And now that I've done that... Done. Connect button. Here's a connect button, which I can double tap. Alert. Validating. Validating. Ellipsis. Connecting H0Me. Attempting connection. Ellipsis. Connecting H0Me. Authenticating. Ellipsis. Connecting H0Me. Retrieve three lines button. And it took a while, but we are there now. All right, let's flick to the right. Security heading green unpressed button. Yes, this could do with a text label, couldn't it? But it says green unpressed. And what that basically means is that the system is not armed at the moment. System is disarmed. And it tells us that in text if we just flick to the right. So it says that the system is disarmed. No faults. And that there are no faults on the alarm. Areas button. We can double tap on the areas and we can see all the different zones because this thing is large where we live and so we have different zones set up and so you can arm and disarm individual zones you can also check on the status of individual zones security events history outputs disconnect disconnect so you can actually use the rsc plus for home automation in its own right it's not something i want to do because i would far rather control as much via siri and alexa as possible, but you can do it. So what all this means at a very basic level is that if you are traveling, as I do a bit, and am likely to do a lot more of in the near future, and you think, oh my goodness, did I set the alarm or did I not? Then it's no problem at all to log in and make sure that the alarm is set from anywhere in the world. You can be your own monitor 
essentially. So you will receive a push notification if the system is armed and it detects an intrusion. It's also quite handy if you're away and you want to make sure that people get home safely because you'll receive a notification when the system has been armed and then it gets disarmed again. So it seems like quite a simple app, but actually it's really powerful for home security and it just gets the job done really nicely. As I say, I would have preferred a HomeKit compatible option and I am hoping that as HomeKit becomes more easy for developers to implement, that RSC Plus may become HomeKit compatible and I'm certainly leaning on the manufacturer to remind them that that would be a great thing. So let's go back home RSC. and flick right. Ring recently updated. Double tap to open. This is the Ring video doorbell, and I won't spend too much time on this because other excellent blindside contributors have talked about the Ring video doorbell. It's got its accessibility blemishes. I have not been able to successfully adjust the sensitivity of the motion detection. So I did get sighted assistance to do that. We have the Ring Video Doorbell Pro. And the reason we went for that one is because it supports 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. And I prefer that because we've got quite a lot of 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi around here. And I just felt that that would most likely be more reliable. We like having our doorbell on our phone. We also have some chimes around the place so that the doorbell will ring when you press the doorbell button outside it will ring around the house if you don't have your phone with you. But it's wonderful because I'm down here in my office, which is downstairs right at the far corner of the house. And I chose this room deliberately for my office because it's away from the noise. But what it does mean is if I'm expecting a package, it used to be pretty difficult for me to hear the doorbell, which would ring upstairs. And so sometimes I'd have to stop what I was doing and go up and take my laptop and get what work I could done while waiting for the doorbell to ring. Well, now my iPhone is my doorbell. And unless I put my phone in Do Not Disturb, I am definitely going to hear the doorbell because it's right here on my phone. So it is super just for that. Additionally, it means that if you are out and the doorbell rings, you'll get a push notification anywhere in the world and then you can talk to the person who was at the door. Now, I must say, I don't think much of the audio quality, and I really wish that Ring would improve this. It's, for me, the biggest downer of the solution, that the audio quality is kind of yuck when you're trying to hear the person at the other side of the door, particularly for someone like me who has a hearing impairment. I find the audio a bit of a struggle at times. Still, it's a good security feature because you can convey that, yes, you are at home, but you just can't come to the door right now. You know, Leave a package at the front door or, no, I'm not interested in what you're selling. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need to say. So it is a really cool thing to be able to do this. Also, once you have the motion detection set up, it's kind of nice because you get told when there is motion at your front door. That's an optional feature. You don't have to have that motion detection on or even pushed. But... When you do have it on, and when you subscribe to one of Ring's cloud recording plans, all of the motion that it detects is recorded in the cloud, and you can review it. So again, another really good security feature, because it's recording somebody's face. If someone comes to your door and they are up to mischief, then you've got a recording of them. And that in itself may well be a deterrent if somebody knows what a Ring video doorbell is. 
It's also a definitive way to solve disagreements with courier companies. And unfortunately, I've had a few of these in my time where they say, we attempted a delivery and you weren't home. And I was home. And I know nobody rang the bell. Well, these days you can go through the uh, cloud footage on the Ring Video doorbell and you can be absolutely clear that nobody came to your door. So it's a very good product. The app could do with a bit of work and the accessibility space and the audio is yuck, but it's still a pretty nice thing to have. Ideally, as Chris was showing us in an episode of The Blind Side where we looked at the smart home, to get the most out of this, it's great to combine it with a smart lock. And again, here in New Zealand, we're not exactly spoiled for choice in this regard. And the one smart lock that is available that would have really suited my requirements at the moment only has a touchscreen keypad. And I'm not going to do that. I would rather wait a little bit longer and get something that is truly accessible before we dive in. Obviously, you can make your phone your key and you can make guests' phones their keys just for the duration of their stay, which is absolutely brilliant. But if there's a failure of some kind, or if you need to get into the house urgently, it's a good idea to have a keypad that is accessible. So let's flick right. Wi-Fi control. Double tap to open. We have three Mitsubishi heat pumps now. Two of those heat pumps were installed when I bought Mosin Towers in 2009. And the third Mitsubishi heat pump replaced one that was built into the house. The old heat pump was decrepit and was probably one of the original heat pumps. <laughs> and we installed that early this year as part of our smart home project. There's a company here in New Zealand that has made a Wi-Fi controller for Mitsubishi heat pumps that are sold in this country. And the nice thing is that even the heat pumps that I purchased back in 2009 work with this Wi-Fi controller. Now, again, this is not HomeKit compatible, but it is compatible with Alexa in this case, and that is absolutely fantastic. I'm hoping that now that the HomeKit requirements are a little less stringent and don't require hardware chip modifications, that we may see HomeKit compatibility for this system soon. The app, it's pretty good. It could be better in certain more complex areas. I'll double tap. Wi-Fi control all units, heading level two, open side menu, banner, landmark. And right now we're on the all units screen. So if I flick to the right, open group building, menu item, heading level two, main, landmark. And I need to open the building, so I'll double tap. Open group building, menu item, and heading flick level to the right. Two. Open unit living room heat pump, menu item. As I indicated earlier, I learned the hard way that you should give everything in your smart home very explicit names i don't mean as in rude names i mean <laughs> unambiguous names that's what i'm saying unambiguous names so this one is called living room heat pump and if i flick to the right open unit studio heat pump menu item open unit studio heat pump open unit hallway heat pump and there's the Men hallway heat pump there we go so if i double tap the studio heat pump open unit studio heat pump open unit studio heat pump change to fan button and we'll just go to the top of the screen. Menu item. Open side menu. Studio heat pump. Heading level 2. At power off button. Studio heat pump. Power off. Room currently at 20 degrees C. Main landmark. It tells me the temperature in here. It's a very comfortable 20 degrees Celsius. And if I want to power the unit on, I can double tap. So if I do that. Power off. Studio heat pump. Power off. Room currently at 20 degrees C. Power on. Set to heat button, studio heat pump. And now I'm told that it's powered on 
and set to heat. I don't want to fry. 20 degrees is nice and comfortable, so I'll double tap. Power on, set to heat, studio heat pump. Power on, set to heat at 18 degrees C. Studio power off button. Studio. And now it's off. And so we can still check the temperature in here. Now, there is a section of this app that does some really cool stuff. Like if the temperature reaches a certain point in the room, automatically turn the heat pump on until it reaches a higher temperature and then turn the heat pump off again. So pretty nice. Some of that is not terribly accessible. But for basic functions like setting the temperature and turning units on and off, we can use our friend Alexa. So I can say, Alexa, turn the studio heat pump on. Okay. And that's all there is to it. I can now say, Alexa, what's Set the temperature, temperature in the studio? 18 degrees C. The studio temperature is 20 degrees. And you heard the heat pump app responding because it can tell that things are going on as well because I'm still in the heat pump app. Now I can say, Alexa, turn off studio heat pump. Okay. Since Alexa knows about all these heat pumps, we can do some nice things with Alexa routines. And this is kind of like scenes for HomeKit. So I'm going to open the Alexa app on my phone. Launch Amazon Alexa. Amazon Alexa. Home. I'm going to double tap the top of the screen. Menu. Button. Music and books. Button. And flick to the right. Lists. Button. Reminders and alarms. Button. Contacts. Button. Routines. Button. And here's routines. So I'll double tap. Re Menu. Button. And flick to the right. Add new. Button. Routines. Enabled. Alexa. Stop heating the house. With routines, you can automate a bunch of things and they can happen at a certain time of day or they can happen with an Alexa command. So in this case, we have a routine which is controlled with an Alexa command and that is stop heating the house. Let's double tap that. Edit routine. Now we're on the edit routine screen and I'm going to go to the top of the screen. Back button. And flick right. More options button. Edit routine. Hopefully this will show you the way that this routine is structured. Enabled. Disable. When. Alexa, stop heating the house. So we have a when option here, and that means that you can enable this routine at a particular time of day if you want the heat to switch off at a certain time, such as when you leave for work. Alexa, reorder action image. In some ways, this is similar to the Shortcuts app that I talked about in the last edition of The Blind Side, where you have a series of actions and you can change the order in which those actions occur. Turn off studio heat pump. The first action is to turn off the studio heat pump. Delete action. You can delete that action if you prefer. Reorder action. Imp. Turn off hallway heat pump. And we're going to turn off the second heat pump, which is the hallway heat pump. Delete action, reorder action, image, turn off, living room heat pump. And turn off the living room heat pump. Possible text, delete action, reorder action, say all heat pumps are off. Then we've told Alexa to say all heat pumps are off to confirm that once those three heat pumps have been switched off, they actually have been. Delete action, add action from the device you speak to. 
If you want to, you can have Alexa speak through a particular device. Now, you could have all sorts of fun with this. You could set up a routine that says, call the kids for dinner. And then if the children have Amazon Echoes in their rooms, then Alexa would automatically say whatever phrase you want, dinner is ready or whatever. So that's really all there is to it. You can chain as many of these things as you want. So you could have a routine at, say, 6.30 in the morning where the heat pumps go on. If you have a smart plug that controls your coffee machine or even better, an Alexa-enabled coffee machine, it could start to do its thing. You could have a radio station come on. You could have certain lights turning on all with one single routine, which can be controlled by time of day or by an Alexa command. We have similar routines. So this one stops heating the house. We have a similar routine for not heating the upstairs. Now, where this is useful is if I'm in the studio downstairs and Bonnie's heading out, I can say, Alexa, stop heating the upstairs. And it turns the two heat pumps upstairs off, but it leaves this heat pump on. So routines similar to scenes in HomeKit give you a lot of flexibility over really making the most of the fact that your home is smart. I'll go back home now and flick to the right. Settings. Of course, we are no longer in the Smart Home folder because I don't have the Amazon Alexa app in the Smart Home folder. Maybe I actually should. Smart Home folder. Six apps. Or double Opening tap. Sm- home. View. RFC. Ring. Re- Wi-Fi control. Eve. Double tap to open. And the final app in my Smart Home folder at the moment is Eve, which used to be called El Gato, I think. And they are the ones who do the smart plugs that we have. We have one plugged into the outlet in our stove, for example. And this we use to turn on the crock pot when we want to do a roast in the crock pot or something like that. We can tell Siri to turn on the stove outlet and it will go ahead and do that. If you're actually nearby, you hear a sort of an audible click when the circuit goes on and the crock pot starts to heat up. A smart appliance that has assisted me greatly on my wellness and weight loss journey is the Withings Smart Body Analyzer. It's had an interesting change of ownership. Withings was originally its own company and then Nokia bought it. And for a while, the app was called Nokia HealthMate. But recently, Nokia sold the business back to one of the Withings original founders. And so it's back to Withings again. I've had the Smart Body Analyzer for a while and there's a newer scale that's out now. What I like about this scale very much is that it's Wi-Fi based and it works with Apple HealthKit. You can step on the scale. You don't have to have your phone with you because Bluetooth isn't necessary. It checks your weight, your heart rate and your body fat composition and it uploads that data to the Withings cloud which then synchronizes with the Apple Health app. And so you have all of your data in one place from your Apple Watch, from the smart scale and any other accessories that you might have that work with Apple Health. The app has become more accessible over time, and you can check the battery percentage of the scale so you know when it's time to change it. And I find as somebody who's very steeped in the Apple ecosystem for my smartphone and smart things, this is a really great fit, and it just works. And I presume that the newer scale uses the same app and is probably even more advanced. So I really like the Withings scale product. And to potentially close on a slightly frivolous note, we have what is known as a smart couch, or should I say a smart living room suite. 
And you may ask, what on earth makes a living room suite smart? Well, the fact is there's a panel of buttons on the couch and each chair, which causes the chair to recline and the footrest to extend. What makes it smart and what causes them to call it a smart living room suite is all of the outlets in the chair. On the couch, there is a tray that folds down, so it turns it in from a four-seater to a two-seater, and there's a big tray in the middle where you can put your laptop or your tablet. And also, all the chairs and the couch have power outlets, so you can plug something directly into the power there, and also USB-A outlets. So when you're sitting on the couch with your tablet or your phone, you can give it a bit of charge and plug it in. It is actually quite a fast charger. This is where our Ira Horizon device lives. It's plugged in and in a charging state so that either Bonnie or I can pick it up and claim the Horizon device for our use when we need it. It means, for example, that if I'm not participating in a meeting, I don't need a quiet environment, I can get work done from the smart couch because I've got all the power and USB that I need there and it's a really comfortable, relaxing environment to work. It just adds a little touch of niceness to the smart home. So those are some of the things that we have done in the smart home arena. I consider this very much a work in progress, but it's definitely made our home more accessible and it's just convenient and kind of cool. And that wraps up this edition of The Blind Side. I feel like I have been on a goodbye tour lately, you know, (laughs) Uh, But it is goodbye from the blind side in this capacity. I do want to stress the Mosin Consulting books will still be available. The Mosin Consulting books will still be produced, perhaps not quite in the same volume, but I will be updating some titles where that is necessary and withdrawing titles where it's not possible for me to update them. I do hope that we will continue the iOS without the iSeries, and I do hope that As time permits and circumstances move me, we will be doing the occasional episode of The Blind Side. So it's not completely the end of this podcast, but you won't see it nearly as frequently uh, anymore. I do want to thank you very much for listening to it. It's been going for a little over two years now. Hopefully we've kept you entertained. We've got you thinking from time to time, even when you've disagreed with views that have been expressed either by guests or by me. And that's what it's all about, is a diversity of opinions. So thank you so much. It's been a blast. And I do look forward to being back with you on The Blind Side in the future. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.